Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Utopia podcast, formerly known as Nonprofit U. Our podcast is an extension of our community, and we provide a forum where nonprofit stakeholders can share lessons learned and discuss the latest developments in the industry. My name is Valerie Leonard, and I'm the founder of Nonprofit Utopia, and we're the ideal community for emerging nonprofit leaders. I work with nonprofit organizations to help them make a stronger impact to their clients and communities, and you can find out more about us on nonprofitutopia.com, Facebook, and Twitter. I encourage you to follow us and to comment early and often using the hashtags nonprofitutopia, N-L-E-N, and Case for Support. You can also leave comments on blogtalkradio.com forward slash nonprofitutopia. The chat room is open, and you can post comments and questions. In order to use the chat room, you must open a listener-only account, and you'll find a link to open the account on the page for this episode right beneath the chat box. We'll be taking questions by phone and from our chat room at about the 30-minute mark or so. The call-in number is 347 347- 8848121 again that number is 3478848121 and if you happen to be watching this on your computer on the blog talk radio page you'll see the phone number on your screen writing a compelling case for support is not always as easy as it seems in case development 201 communications consultant andrew bromo writes an organization's case for support is ultimately, quote, your message to your donors, why should they give to your organization, end quote. In this day and age of increased competition for fewer dollars, your answer to the funder's question must be stronger than ever before, and it must be stronger than similar organizations. Today's topic is making the case for support in times of change. Lauren Wesley, Director of Development for the North Lawndale Employment Network in Chicago, also known as NLEN, will share strategies for developing a case for support in times of change and how we can dovetail those efforts with electronic peer-to-peer fundraising campaigns like Giving Tuesday. Again, we encourage you to call in with questions at about the 30-minute mark. You can start posting in the chat room right now. If you want to participate in the live chat, again, you must open an account, and a link is found on the episode page. Again, our call-in number is 347-884-8121. We're looking for nonprofit and community development professionals to call in and anyone who's interested in this conversation, quite frankly. Today's guest is Lauren Wesley. She's the Director of Development for the North Lawndale Employment Network, also known as NLEN. She brings to NLEN over 10 years' experience in marketing, public relations, and development. Prior to joining NLEN, Lauren worked in development for a youth empowerment organization in Chicago's North Lawndale, Pilsen, and Lower West Side communities. She also served as a program and curriculum consultant to an organization that focuses on teen pregnancy and sexual health. 
a published author and advocate for social justice, Lauren has co-authored a textbook on sexual health and published articles on the intersection of race and gender in national journals. Before transitioning into the nonprofit sector, Lauren successfully managed accounts for national and international consumer brands. She also worked as a marketing director and reporter for several magazines and newspapers. Lauren holds a Master of Education and Master of Arts degree in clinical psychology from Widener University and the Chicago School of Professional Psychology, respectively. She also holds a BA degree from Xavier University in Louisiana. Wow, you, you've done a lot for your few years. You're, you're such a young lady to have accomplished <laughs> so much. And, and I, I'm just so honored and privileged to have you here. And, and I, I'm one of the, the league of people in North Lawndale and in the, I guess, nonprofit community of which your mom is a part. And I'm, I'm, forgive me for bringing up your mom so early in the conversation, but we have watched <laughs> we have watched you grow from a distance. You know, some people have been more intimately involved in your development than others, but I've watched you grow at a distance, and I am just so proud. Let me stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh my I, we're not in the same room, but I can see you blushing, right? So, yeah. so, <laughs> so Laura, before we get started, can you tell us, oh, you know, about the North Lawndale Employment Network and how you came to join them? Absolutely. Um, thank you so much for having me today um, and sharing just. I guess what I can bring to the table on this wonderful platform. Um, thank you for that that uh, introduction. I am just sitting here like, oh my god, you know, just to hear all of that at one time. But thank you so much. Um, so as mm-hmm. I said, I'm the director of development for the North Mono Employment Network, and uh, NLEs for short is uh, a workforce, uh, urban workforce development organization. So what that means is we help train people um, for jobs and help them help place them in jobs. And so the mm-hmm. reason why the North Lawndale Employment Network, or NLEN, was started was because the interesting thing about North Lawndale is that although the unemployment rate in Chicago is a little bit less than, I think it's like 4.7%, in North Lawndale it's almost a quarter. So it's like 23.4%. And so, you know, the narrative is slightly, or not slightly, but largely significantly <laughs> different in certain communities, and North Lawndale is one of them. And um, when we first started this organization, uh, Brenda Palmfarber being the president, now president and CEO, when she first started this organization years and years ago, back in 99, um, in 2001, mm-hmm. shortly after she got here, she commissioned a study which found that 57% of the adults in the community had some involvement with the, with the criminal justice system. So we really found out that people had significant barriers to employment, and they're not going to get hired. They're not going to get the jobs. Poverty is not going to be eradicated if we don't have a service to help them through that, help them navigate the barriers, overcome those barriers, and and secure jobs. So we have Mm -hmm. several programs which um, address those barriers. One's our flagship program, which is U-Turn Permitted, um, specifically addresses those who have a felony background. And so they go through four weeks of employment training, and then we have several pathways 
because um, it's not just our goal to have to get them entry-level jobs, but to put them on a career pathway where they're able to get those mm-hmm. middle-wage jobs and hopefully even higher. So um, we, we we do this every day. We do this work. We love what we do. Uh, in addition to, to our programs, we also, around 2004, uh, we saw that a lot of our employers you know, they had the little check the box, right? Do you have do you have uh, this extra barrier of having a felony? And so we weren't getting the employer partnerships that we thought. So we started our own social enterprise called Sweet Beginnings, um, which basically mm-hmm. is a, a job creation engine. So we created our own jobs to show these employers that, yes, they might have this extra barrier. They may have this extra, you know, check the little box on the, on the application, but these are people who want to work who can work, who can gain skills, who can take advantage of these resources and get back to the workplace and really be fully integrated into society. So that's a long, I mean, it's a short way of, of uh, talking about a 20-year history of, of kind of trying to tackle mm-hmm. these deep systemic issues. But, yeah. Okay. You guys do some awesome work. And I <laughs> met Brenda, wow, wow, back in 2000 in, in Lawndale. So, yeah, she oh. has... Really, really grown the organization <laughs> by leaps and bounds, yeah. and I'm proud. <laughs> and yes, yes, yes. So, yeah. so, Lauren, I have this running joke that the most important document never written is an organization's case for support. And I know that's not <laughs> true of NLEM because I've seen your case for support, but. You know, in circles that I run in, you know, working with emerging leaders, you know, often the leaders of these nonprofits, they want to skip this step and go right into submitting proposals, and they often copy and paste the same information over and over again, regardless of the question asked. They'll just copy and paste. So can you share with our listening audience why the case for support is so important? So your case for support and development is kind of like your foundation, right? It's your messaging tool. It's it's telling your story. For me, development means two things. One, it's storytelling. Once you've told that story, then it's relationship building. And this is sort of the document that kind of holds those key messages that people can can forget, overlook, or fill in with something that isn't supposed to be there. We actually just met with our board president. And he was saying, looking at me, of course, that everyone in the organization, not just development, but everyone in the organization needs to be able to tell the story, needs to be told in the same way. You know, who are you? What's your mission? What's your vision? What's your impact? Mm-hmm. Why should we give you money? They should be able to answer those questions. And if you aren't training them to know that, then they'll just fill in the gaps with whatever they want. And we don't want that. You want a cohesive message. And so that's kind of what your case for support does. It kind of keeps everything cohesive. It gives you a platform. It tells your donors who you are, those sort of basic what, when, where, how, all those types of questions. Um, and that way you know what you're talking about. You have that sort of elevator pitch, and it's something you can actually physically leave behind. Um, a lot of times if I go in and I meet with a funder, we, we have our site visit packets. We have these messages already coined. We have, you know, what we're talking about. And if you hear me talk about NLEN, and then here's someone else from my staff. We're telling the same story. So that's mm-hmm. kind of like one of the sort of important layers for this document. Yes, yes, yes. So um, you partially answered the question. Um, just want to go into a little bit more detail. 
So who needs to be involved in the development of the case for support and the messaging and relaying those messages? Um, so for ours, and I would say this probably could apply this across the board, but definitely, you know, your leadership team, your board needs to be involved. Those decision makers, those key message uh, makers, um, because they're the ones who are going to kind of form and construct what everyone else needs to be saying, right? Like you can't have mm-hmm. a message that I'm development is constructing and then my, my executive director knows nothing about it or the board president knows nothing about it. So those are the folks who really need to come in the room and sit down and kind of hash out what we really want to say, how we want to say it, how it should look. So we, and you could do several cases for support, right? Like it doesn't just have to be mm-hmm. one. One is a good place to start. Like you can do one for different campaigns, whether it's your annual giving or if you have a capital campaign or whatever. But when we start the process, um, done a recent one, we, we do them all the time. But we did a recent one, and Brenda and I sat down. We were the first person to, you know, first people to kind of look at it. And we had a consultant come in and kind of help us shape and form. Then we had our our board look at it. So it's like a, it's a it's a continuous process between those sort of leadership mm-hmm. roles. Um, because you want to make sure that everyone is in agreement because once this message is out, it's out. You know, once it gets to frontline staff, then it becomes sort of a part of the narrative that you're telling over and over again. Mm-hmm. So I, I like the way you said your frontline staff. So everyone from, I guess for lack of a better description, from top to bottom of the organization, this is not to cast aspersion on any position, but everyone throughout the organization is on the same page, literally, it sounds. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, I, we just had, like I said, we just had a mastermind class with our board president, and he was saying, like, we can't just, the information at the top, it has to be filtered throughout the entire organization so that everyone knows what your vision is, what your values are, what your goals are, what your objectives, how you plan on getting there, what's your impact, like, y'all are telling the story. I single-handedly mm-hmm. cannot you know, get the funders, get the attention and all of that by myself. I have to be able to equip the frontline staff, the manager, the mid-level staff, all the way up to the top so that everyone is working collectively, cohesively to strengthen the organization and tell our story to whoever, whatever stakeholders there are, whether it's a community meeting or a funder you're talking to or even a client. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is awesome. So it sounds to me also that you're looking at the total experience. You know, you're not just talking about a logo or or brand. Okay, and when we talk about branding, we're not just talking about the logo or a slogan. It's the entire experience, and it sounds to me that the background for this experience, uh, an integral part of it is the case for support. At least that's what I'm getting from listening to you. That's right. Okay, That's right. awesome. Awesome. So I want to remind our listening audience that you're listening to the Nonprofit Utopia podcast, and we're speaking with Lauren Wesley. Lauren is the Director of Development for the North Lawndale Employment Network, also known as NLEN. We'll be taking questions from our listening audience in chat room at about the 30-minute mark. The call-in number is 347 884 one again that number is three four seven eight eight four eight one two one 
So, Lauren, what are some of the main elements that need to be in a written case for support? And I realize that there's no one way to do it, but, you know, what are some of the main elements? Yeah, like you said, every organization is going to be slightly different. Um, but what what I would recommend is to kind of sit down and have, like, an outline. And so kind of think about what will this be used for? Is this, like, an organizational, you know, just for one specific campaign, what is it being used for? This is before you start writing. Mm-hmm. So you want to have those types of questions answered. Who is your target audience? So who are you speaking to? It's going to be different if you're speaking to an elected official versus, a, you know, a, 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 a high net worth donor, for example. So you definitely want to think about mm-hmm. your audiences. Certain audiences will want certain information and other audiences will, will want, you know, different types of information. Um, you're going to want to mm-hmm. be able to describe and explain your impact. So you want to think about how you can describe and explain it as succinctly as possible. I mean, people like data, but they don't want to just be talked at, you know, forever, have to read 40 pages about everything your organization has done for the last 40 years. So, you know, trying to get that into a few bullet points or kind of going over that with your board or whoever, the leaders that you're meeting with so that you guys can kind of narrow that message down. And then I think the last thing you want to think about before you start writing, which is really, really essential, is what is your unique approach or solution to to the problem that your organization is solving? So if you're, you know, mm-hmm. adult literacy, what how how are you addressing that? You know, for us it's it's job it's job training, but we like to we like to focus on those significant barriers, and we do that by not just training them, but we also provide jobs. So that's sort of through sweet beginnings. So that's kind of our unique edge. Um, and then I'm trying to stay within the time. Sorry if I run over a little bit. But once no, you actually okay. sit down and write, okay, <laughs> sorry. Um, so once you, know, once you sit down and sit down and write, you want to think about an introduction. You want a strong introduction. People assume that people, you know, sometimes people assume, oh, they know who we are. Not necessarily. You know, you have to talk to as people as if they've never heard of you before. So you really want a strong introduction. You want a nice, short, but also impactful history of the organization. How did it start? Why did, Why was there a need? Just like I talked about how, you know, the North Atlanta uh, was started because of the high unemployment rate. Then you want to talk about your mission. Definitely want to have that, your mission, your vision, all of that has to be in there. Your objectives. How? So how are those, how is that mission being addressed? Is it through programs? Is it through advocacy? How, how does that, how does that work? Then you, at some point, you want to state what your financial need is. You definitely want mm-hmm. a, a concrete way of supporting all of this, right? And then finally, you definitely don't want to leave the reader hanging. You want a call to action. Like you want to make sure that people know that you're explaining this for a reason and you're asking them to do something, you know, directly. So. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love it. I so love it. Are, now, do you – yeah. Yeah, those are the main um, – parts and also this question is the most important question in the whole interview so um, don't don't feel bashful that you took a little bit longer Um, I I love it but you know your answer was very very succinct I think you modeled Mm -hmm. what an answer should be Um, and forgive me if this sounds sexist to anyone but I think your answers were like what we in the 80s used to describe as what a woman's skirt should be, long enough to cover the <laughs> subject and short short enough to be interesting. Uh, 
<laughs> you know, so okay. you covered it um, very, very well. So I'm, I'm impressed. I'm, I'm just impressed. trying to. Stay with, with the two minutes. I'm like, okay, let me let me let me not run on forever. So, mm-hmm. that's, that's yeah, awesome. I I think you did well, very very well. So, how do you use <laughs> how do you use the case for support in your fundraising efforts? You know, beyond you know the meetings with the funders, do you use them in in other ways? So yes, I I've used. Uh, well, the one most recent one I've used quite often. So I'll use it even in proposals, some of the things that we that I have in there. So grant proposals, sorry if I'm not being uh, uh, descriptive enough. So I write the grants for our oh, organization. Okay. I'll use I'll use the messaging and the themes because a lot of the case supports, sometimes you might have a theme or a tagline like some of ours do, and I'll use that in our communications. I use it in our marketing because I want the message to be broad and pervasive as possible. So when people hear mm-hmm. about this particular case for support or this particular campaign, they can go, oh, yeah, you've mentioned that in your emails. You've mentioned that in your proposals. You've mentioned that on social media. You know, we I try to make that, especially because we spend a lot of time on these case for support, as you should, so it's like you want to be able to work that document as much as you can. Mm-hmm. So I try to sneak it in there as, as often as possible. <laughs> Um, not just using it for, you know, your one-on-ones with certain funders or donors, but also um, sort of integrating it in all of your marketing, communications, and even your fundraising efforts, um, regardless of what type of push it is. Because we've been using one in particular for probably about a year. Um, and we I infuse that everywhere I can go. Like we have a a campaign because we just moved, um, so we have like a several locations, and so it's called Here We Grow Again. So you'll see Here We Grow Again mm-hmm. everywhere because <laughs> we all sat in a yeah. room and thought about that, you know, thought about that messaging. So we want to make sure that we're going to use it as, as as widely as possible. So. And it grows on you. <laughs> it does. Here we go. Again. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And you know too. Um, uh, you're you're a fundraiser, and you probably think of the case for support, obviously, through marketing, and most of us think of it for marketing and fundraising. But it could also mm-hmm. be used as an excellent management tool because mm-hmm. I, I find that in, in some organizations you have the fundraising people communicating one story, but they're not necessarily communicating well with the folks who have to actually implement all this stuff that the marketers have promised. So uh-huh. I, I find that using the case for support and educating the rest of the organization, as you guys seem to be doing from your earlier comments, uh-huh. I think that's very, very valuable. It streamlines your operations, and it, I think, minimizes the the chances of any surprises and minimizes the chances of the marketing people over committing or promise making promises that the operations folks can't keep. Mhm. <laughs> so true. <laughs> like it's a team it's a, no it's true. It's a team yeah. effort. Like yeah. I could not share this message by myself. Like it's just not possible. Mm-hmm. So that is so true. Like yes. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah, I mean because you can read certain proposals and, and tell you know, whether or not people who actually have to do the work were involved. 
And I think you guys do an mm-hmm. excellent job of integrating the entire team. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that's that's not easy, and, and you do it well. And, you know, you you bring up a really good point because um, a lot of, you're right, a lot of, especially grant writers, tend to work in a silo almost, like, okay, let me just digest this information and spit it out into this proposal, whereas we don't do it that way. I always have programs because mm-hmm. they're running these programs, right? So I, right. you know better than I do. I can't describe this like you can. So I always have them review any type of document that comes out of out of uh, development, particularly if we're talking about program, data, impact, any of that, um, because no one can tell the story like people who are on the ground doing it every day. I, you know, I, I don't work with clients, but the program staff does. So I always say, you know, is it, am I telling this story right? Am I describing this right? You know, what are your thoughts? I mean, I might make it sound better, my little pretty words, <laughs> mm-hmm. but they're they're yeah. they're the ones who are kind of like saying, no, that's not exactly what happens, especially with our programs because we offer so many. I mean, just mm-hmm. the, describing those pathways and that impact is really important for for not just development and, and the executive director to have their hands in, but also program staff. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and um, I, I guess with that, what are some of the do's and don'ts? I know there are 50 million of them, but, you know, in, in your experience, <laughs> what would you say the do's and don'ts for writing an effective case for support? I would, well, see, I'm a very verbose person. Like, I love words. Words love me. Mm-hmm. We love each other. <laughs> so when I first started writing these, it was like the more the merrier. And then we'd have people review at the board, and they're like, nobody wants to sit here and read 50 pages. Like, it's great that you can write this. but So I would say my first don't is to <laughs> don't write a dissertation. I come from an academic background, so that's, you know, in academia, the more words, the better. But in marketing, it's like the opposite, you know. It's like the less, you know, like try to. I'm having flashbacks. I, you know, I always say I never met a word I didn't like, and I should have been an attorney because I said I can write and write and write a whole a okay. sentence that yeah. will go a whole page without a verb. <laughs> Let me swear. without without a, a period, a comma, nothing. It's like really, is this still going on? <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. I, I just had to laugh. I, I, I didn't mean to disrupt your flow, but you, you, you bring back memories. It, it, it's a painful process to, to write succinctly. I, I think it actually takes longer to write succinctly than it does to write. If that makes sense. Oh, my gosh, it does. Like it, it Like when I first started writing for marketing as opposed to academia, and then people would be like, you have to cut this in half. It felt like it was like like someone was stabbing me. I'm like, what do you mean? I worked so hard. These words are so beautiful. Like, what do you mean I have to cut them out? Like, I would sometimes I wouldn't do it. I'd send it to an editor. Like, you, you do this because this is like blood shed to me. I, I don't even want to, like, ugh. Like, you know. Um, but, yes, that is definitely a don't. Like, less is more. What I learned in just in my career and over time is that people have, you know, you love them, but people have short attention spans and they are busy. And a donor doesn't want to, you know, they want to know, like, how can I help? Why should I help? Like those quick, you know, powerful, impactful um, sentences and paragraphs that kind of really grabs them. So it's really working on that 
and it's a skill. It takes time. Even though I've been writing for years and years, it's still it's still a process. So, which is why you need you know your your uh, board and other folks in the organization to review because they can give you that kind of bird's eye view. Like, uh-uh, Lauren, this is still a paragraph. Still a paragraph. Get it down to two sentences. So. <laughs> One thing that you, you want to do is really focus on a couple of, or, or a little, maybe a few more, like really powerful, impactful, you know, key points. So mm-hmm. what what are you doing? How are you doing it? And why is this important? Like, you really want to get those messages across because you can get lost with the pictures and the theme and get lost in why this is important. I mean, the last mm-hmm. kids for support we we um we wrote, we took it to actually one of our donors who's actually a really good friend, and he was like, what is this? What does this mean to me? So you also, that's another do, you also want to think, like I said before, think about your audience because certain people, are they're not going to care. You might care because you've been in the weeds too much. You know, you've been thinking about it too long, <laughs> right. or too hard, you know, too hard. And then people look at this like, what is this? Like, why well, I don't care about this. Like, that's not going to do me any good, you know. So thinking about your audience, thinking about how to be as impactful as possible and pulling out those 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 numbers, that data, those, those stats that, kind of grab people's attention, but also tell why you're different. Like, how are you doing this differently? You really have to think, I would say think more intensely as opposed to thinking broadly. You want to think focused so that you're mm-hmm. you're making the document as, as impactful as, as possible, if that makes any sense. Yes, it does. It does. Okay. Any more nuggets you, you'd like to share in terms of do's and don'ts? Yes. Also, so a case report is a living document. It's a breathing document. So it will change. Like one mm-hmm. thing I had to understand, this is not just case with case for support, but anything that I do, you know, you fall in love with it. You're like, huh, I'm done. This is perfect. <laughs> it's never going to be changing. And then somebody will look at it and go, eh, actually, this has changed. You know, like especially we have a director of evaluation. And he'll go, well, actually, that number has changed in the last, you know, two, three months. So you might want to, or the last year, however long, or however old the document is. And then you'll have to start revising things. And that's just part of the process. Like it's a living document. It's mm-hmm. not something that's going to be static because your organization isn't static. You're, I'm assuming that everybody's progressing and that you guys are doing better and you're getting stronger. And that, you want to be able to capture that in these types of communications. Like you don't want to think about stuff from, you know, 2006 when it's 2018. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Nothing yeah. like a stale case for support, right? <laughs> no, it's true. It's true because, you know, you think your 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 work is like the best thing since sliced bread and you're like, okay, that's it. Phew, that's done. Moving on. It's like no, it's gonna it's gonna need some work over time. Um, yeah, and then also sometimes you might have to scrap it and or change it uh, completely to match where you are now, or or match mm-hmm. a specific campaign. You know, if you're doing something that you haven't done before, um, people get their buildings renovated. People build new buildings. You know, that's gonna take a totally different narrative um, than just trying to, you know, um, raise money for, like, an annual fund or something like that, or, I'm sorry, annual mm-hmm. campaign. So, yeah. Those, I, I feel like mm-hmm. I haven't. I think linearly, and I'm not sure if I've listed everything, I've kind of, you know, but hopefully 
the mm-hmm. listeners have uh, have gathered some some nuggets from there. Yeah, I I think those are very very critical points. And um, just to rehash some of what you said earlier, it sounds to me too that one of the biggest do's is to not um, not do this in a vacuum. This is a team effort. That's right. It is definitely a team effort. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, uh, I want to remind our listening audience that you're listening to Nonprofit Utopia podcast, and we're speaking with Lauren Wesley. Lauren is the Director of Development for the North Lawndale Employment Network. We'll be taking questions right about now, just as soon as I finish my spiel. Um, you can call in right now, and then I will um, I will call on you if and you can let me know if you have comments or questions, or you can make comments or questions in the chat room. The call-in number is 347-884-8121. And before we get back to our interview, I want to let you guys know a little bit about Nonprofit Utopia. We just started back in June of this year, this year being 2018, And we're the ideal community for emerging nonprofit leaders. We have created a safe environment in which our members can innovate and speak candidly about issues and concerns that they face on a daily basis and share ideas and resources. In fact, we're having very candid conversations about culture and what happens with organizations when they don't stick to their stated core values and veer off into something else. Sometimes that could be just as dangerous as um, mission creep. But at any rate, um, you can visit nonprofitutopia.com and nonprofitutopia.mn.co for further information. Our mission is to provide ongoing professional development and networking opportunities in which experienced nonprofit professionals can share expertise with the next generation of ethical leaders. Our overarching goal is to give our members the tools they need to develop strong organizations that will make a lasting impact, and our vision is to strengthen the global nonprofit sector by providing training and development opportunities for 50,000 emerging nonprofit leaders throughout the world by 2033. And, Lauren, I'm going to have to get with you afterwards so you can teach me to be more succinct (laughs) with my communications. But I, I just had to talk it was about beautifully our <laughs> Well, thank you. Let me see if we have any callers. So far, no callers. We're going to check the chat room. You see, um, so far there's no questions or comments. You guys, you know, really, if you have any questions or comments, please give us a call or chat. Um, you you really rarely have the opportunity to speak with someone with this level of knowledge and experience for free um, to run by ideas, problems that you may have had. Yeah, you can have these kinds of conversations with consultants all day long, but, you know, it's going to cost you. So this is this is a really wonderful opportunity. <laughs> yeah, you know from Winter Speak, this is a really wonderful opportunity to, to get some really wonderful insights. And again, as I was explaining to Lauren, we typically do this show in the middle of people's work day, and this is a Monday. 
So um, to worry, this will be recorded, and you can listen to the recording afterwards and still learn some really good stuff. So I'm, I'm not going to hold Lauren up. I want to get back to her questions. So, Lauren, let's okay. switch gears a little bit and, and talk about Giving Tuesday. Now, that's upon us on November 27th. Can you give us a little background about Giving Tuesday for those of us who may not be as familiar with Giving Tuesday? Yes. It is a global online giving campaign that is across, well, like it's a global, but across the board for mm-hmm. any nonprofit that wants to participate, right? Um, so it really, mm-hmm. it, to me, it's more of like a way of engaging your millennials and your Gen Zers who may not give in traditional ways. They are more connected mm-hmm. to online platforms such as social media um, and email and websites. And so this really allows younger, the sort of that younger um, donor, giver, to participate in the process. So And it's really t- about telling stories and sharing and really um, – and I, I feel like it's also a really good way of giving where you're not – you feel like even if you're just giving $5, you're putting you're putting something into the pot and you're helping in some kind of way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like that crowdsourcing, almost like that sort of uh, – that platform of giving where – because a lot of, of young people don't – you know, we know the economy. We know the, this is the, the gig economy and people have massive student loans, so a lot of young people don't have – you know, $3,000 to give to one campaign, but they can do, you know, a little small giving across different nonprofits and feel like they've actually contributed um, and they've shared and they've posted and they've liked and they've actually really made a difference. So this is this is sort of the, the basis of, of, of Giving Tuesday. And it actually happens, like you said, November 27th. So right around that giving holiday time um, on the heels of Thanksgiving, and so um, it's really the time mm-hmm. of year when people are actually, you know, they, they want to give. They, they want to be involved. They want to give back. They want, they, you know, it's that time of year. So I mm-hmm. really enjoyed. Okay, great. And I, I don't know, it, it's interesting. Sometimes, you know, when I hear about people talking about Giving Tuesday, they seem to do that with, within a vacuum, I guess, as we typically do everything else. In nonprofit, they kind of treat Giving Tuesday as an event unto itself, and not really think about the other messages that they may have out there. So, can you share some strategies for making sure that your Giving Tuesday campaign is coordinated well with your case for support, and how your case for support can actually serve as a foundation? Mhm. Yes. So one thing about Giving Tuesday that I had to learn um, was that if, even though it's a giving on one day, you're prepping and planning and thinking about it way before that starts. So we actually started thinking about our Giving Tuesday in July, even though that seems like, wait, it's only one day in November, so why are you thinking mm-hmm. about it in July? And it's for that very reason because, again, you've spent time working on this elegant support document, and that document, again, is a kind of a foundation. So it's kind of giving you what you need to build your platform um, what makes Giving Tuesday to me fun is that I um, I have in my on my development team a Princeton 55 fellow. So this is someone who's a I guess Generation Z at this point because she's like 23. We we had a one last year. She was 23. Wow. So we had this young energy and blood. Yeah, and we took our case for support and asked 
and kind of pulled our resources together and, and kind of thought about, well, how, what, what would be appealing to your generation and connects with our message. So we actually had a theme, and we were called, we called it the unselfie because, you know, young people are all about the selfie, but it's really unselfie because you're not, you're not focusing on you, you're focusing on giving, but it still kind of taps into that sort of uh, jargon and the language and the speak and the lingo, and so people can really connect with that. And so you definitely want to have your foundation and built into, like, you know, using your case for support to build in those foundational stories and messages and even themes, but you want to put it on an online platform where younger people can really attach to it. So, again, we did the, the selfie. So what we did was we walked around our organization and had people write on a little, like I guess it was like a little whiteboard, why they thought mm-hmm. Giving Tuesday and, and giving was important, and then they put hashtag unselfie. So we had our board do it. We had Brenda do it. We had, you know, leaders <laughs> do it. We had everyone, frontline staff, we tweeted, we emailed, we um, we had newsletters. So we got all this information out prepping people for months, months and months before the day even came to full, um, mm-hmm. to, to the actual day, the, which last year was the 28th. So, um, yeah, that message. And the thing is the message, even though we had hashtag unselfie, the core messages were still from our case for support. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So the impact, the stories that we're telling, the giving, all of that was built into um, into the, the core messages. And we just made it fun by saying, hey, you're going to take an unselfie. Mm-hmm. And we had people <laughs> snapping pictures online. And it was, it was just, it was cute. And we actually, um, I think we tripled our giving last year. So, wow. yeah. And then we actually won a prize. We won a $1,000 prize for having so much social media, social media engagement. They, they, no, they were giving prizes to nonprofits. Yeah. Mhm. I'm sorry. That's great. Now, did you guys have to get someone who's just specifically focused on social media, or did you kind of share that responsibility throughout the organization? So we did both. We had someone who kind of managed, and that was my P55. Or, I'm sorry, my Princeton 55 fellow. I call her the P55. Um, kind of managed. So she did our our social media blast through the day and the email list so that there's a cohesion to it. But then we also mm-hmm. incentivized our board and staff for them to actually make you can actually have your um your your community members or your sort of your audience, whoever that is, make their own Giving Tuesday pages and they can mm-hmm. um help raise money for you. So that's what we did. We actually incentivized our staff by giving away actually Southwest airline tickets because they're our, our airline wow. our airline partner. They're our airline partner. And we incentivized them by saying, hey, you know, if you help us raise money, we'll do a little something for you. You want to take a trip? Sure. And so we had two people who actually won those because they made their own pages on Facebook and they took on selfies and they put it out to their network. So it's not it's not just about keeping it in, insulated in your organization but taking it out. And that's how young people really mm-hmm. get messages out nowadays. Things go viral, you know, and it's because other people jump on board and make and make those messages known. So it was really fun. I enjoyed it. I really – I'm excited for this year. So we have, like, a little <laughs> challenge we're going to do. I don't want to give too much information, but it's, it's fun. Okay, right. That's awesome. Now, how do you get people yeah. who are older – you know, I'm 55. I think I've mentioned that. 
to you, and, and maybe that's too much information. <laughs> that's but, young. That's but young. <laughs> but I find that people within my age range, you know, we may engage on Facebook, but I think it's harder for us, and I could be wrong. Maybe I'm in the wrong circle. It, we, we don't engage as often in fundraising on Facebook. You know, I think younger people, as you said, are more likely to do that. What are some of the incentives that you guys use? I mean, obviously the the, the airplane tickets were <laughs> were probably a really good incentive. But, you know, what, what are some of the other things that you could do to, to get people who are, you know, a little bit less likely to use social media to do fundraising to actually get engaged? So it's interesting you say that because actually one of our top fundraisers, she, her name's Terry. Terry has to, I'm, I'm, I think Terry's in her late fifties or maybe in the early sixties. So ah, it's, it's, it's okay. never. I'm, I'm in the wrong yeah, circle. She, she, <laughs> she, she did her her thing. She she was on social media promoting, which I think she really wanted those plane tickets. But um, another component. <laughs> so some people, like you said, they're not they're not on Facebook all day. They're not they're not on Twitter all day. But a lot of people do open up emails. A lot of people do like mm-hmm. sharing stories. So what we did was we had every week we had a new story, a client, um, their process, their journey, and people were really connected to that. And I think an older generation can understand that struggle. They can understand, you know, mm-hmm. a single mother. We, For example, we had a single mom who had some serious barriers. I think she has three or four kids and she had some serious barriers but was able to go through our job training. She was able to actually um, work for us for a while, and then she ended up getting a job, I believe, at she works for the state now. So she actually has, like, that full benefits, full, you know, um, full-time position, and really people really connect to those okay. stories. So even if you're not on social media, we definitely sent out emails um, weekly to connect people to, to our messaging, even if they, they weren't on social media all day. That's, that's, there's always ways to connect. Um, and I think the older generation really connects to those stories. Like the younger generation is all about the unselfie and snapping photos and all that, but and the quick little mm-hmm. messages on Twitter, you know, 240 characters. But I think the older generation really connected to, um, we actually had videos, so we actually interviewed some, like you're interviewing me, we interviewed some of our clients and showed videos so that you can actually interact and see, you know, hear from them. Not hear, You don't want to hear me tell the story. You want to hear from them, their actual journey and what your money is going to. And I think that's another thing with the older generation. They want to know what their money is going to. I mean, most people do, but in the older generation, they're like, how am I really helping you? So we actually <laughs> broke that down. So it's like if you give us $25, this will help buy a bus pass for someone for a week so they can get back and forth to work. If you give $50, this will buy, you know, whatever, tuition for, you know, whatever the the different levels were. But we broke that down so people could actually know, okay, what is their money exactly going to? Mm -hmm. Oh, that is awesome. So what I'm hearing, too, is a best practice is also accountability. So you your best practices sound like storytelling, accountability, and help me help me out. Those, those are the two that I caught, but I, I know that I missed some just listening to your story about story, your experience. Accountability and and you're in a variety learning that you have a variety of audiences. So, like you you mentioned that the older generation may not connect to Facebook, 
but they might connect to these videos that are telling stories. So we we definitely diversified this campaign. It wasn't just like a one-note thing. It was through multiple. That's why it took so many months of planning. So we had all this planned mm-hmm. out. So November 1, we're, kick, we're kicking off our, our campaign, and we had something going out every single day. Because one thing you I think they said the the average person needs seven touches before they decide to give. So we wanted to make sure wow. that all of our audiences have set touches, you know, whether it's an email, whether it's through Twitter, whether it's through Facebook, whether, you know, we wanted to make sure that people are, are getting our, you know, different ways so they go, you know what, I'm, I'm, I am going to give. I do have $25. Okay, I'll give today. I've, I've heard from them enough. Okay, you're right. You know. <laughs> Oh, I'm loving this. So there's a whole lot more to Giving Tuesday than meets the eye. So it's not just this Absolutely. beautiful little hashtag. <laughs> no, oh, and it's not just one day. Need. You can't do it in just one day. Just like being an overnight success, right? And I mean, we only see that yeah, one just, night. Nobody knows about the million nights that came before the success, right? <laughs> no, really. Like getting everybody on board. Again, that teamwork, it wasn't, I mean, even though my P55, I'm sorry, Princeton Fellow and I, you know, we were the main two people leading it, but we definitely had to round up the whole team. We had program staff involved, board involved, everyone. We announced it at our board meeting. We need your, you know, we need your help. Um, so, yeah, that, that teamwork, that planning, then that's how we were able to get the numbers that we got, where we were tripled for our, our giving from, uh, from the year before. But it takes work. It takes work. Yes, yes, yes. But it pays off. It pays off, right? You, it does. You tripled your number. Okay. And I have and a then we got feeling that you, <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. I have a feeling you're going to do even better this year. I just get that feeling. Yes. Okay, listening audience, one, <laughs> one more time. We, we've got about 10 minutes left. And I'm offering one more time the opportunity to speak with Lauren. You can give her a call. The number is 347-884-8121. Or you can chat, chat live and ask any question, make any comment. And whether they ask any questions or make any comments, Lauren, I just want to say I am learning a whole lot. And I'm sure there are many people listening who uh, for whatever reason, are not going to um, call or chat. You know, I usually hear comments, you know, afterwards, you know, from people who didn't call or or chat. Um, and I have a feeling I'm going to have the same experience. So I, I want to say thank you so much. And before we go, um, if you could, you know, share some of the lessons that you've learned along the way regarding just fundraising in general and Giving Tuesday. And I, and I know this may um, mean that you might have to repeat some of the things you said because you have a wonderful <laughs> way of kind of expressing, you know, the, the lessons learned as, as you go. But that's okay. Um, a little repetition is not bad for for learning. So without further ado, what have you learned? <laughs> well, um, so yes. <laughs> But repetition is about learning, so I, I am going to repeat a, few, a couple of things. But so, like I said, one key thing for me with fundraising and with Giving Tuesday, even though your donors may be halfway across the world or only online and you may not see their faces, it's, fundraising is about relationship building. People do not want to give mm-hmm. money if you're just going to 
you know, hit it and quit it. Okay, give me your money. All right, I won't ever see you again. No, it is an ongoing, constant relationship. So for those who give to our Giving Tuesday campaign, you know, we send them an automated thank you letter, but then we also add them to our email list so that they're getting those updates and seeing where their money is going. So we always have a client of the month in our newsletter. So they're saying like, oh, okay, this person did this or got this job. You don't want to just leave people. You have to understand that people give mostly because of emotional reasons. There's something about your work, the work that the organization does, that touches them. And so with that, you want to make sure you keep those lines of communication open and that you're constantly building those relationships. And not just with individual donors, but with your funders, um, people who attend your annual events, all of those things. You want to stay in touch with them. Like I said, the average um, donation takes about seven touches to even get someone to go, okay, I'm, I'm going to try it to give to this organization and see how that works. And the easiest way or the quickest way to lose a donor is to not thank, you, thank them and not stay engaged with them. So it's really about relationship building. And I think the mm-hmm. other key point, um, to keep it short, I know we're short on time, is the, the, the messaging. And so that goes back to your case for support. It's, it's really being able to talk about the organization without having to drag on for an hour. If I'm, if I'm trying to invest money or time or whatever it is in your organization and it takes you an hour to explain it, you don't know what you're doing and neither do I. Like, <laughs> like why? You know what I mean? My mother always said she hates fast talkers and long talkers. Like, if you're talking and talking and talking, it's like, okay, uh-uh, I'm not interested. And you, you're running some kind of scam here. So really being right, able right. to capture those impactful, you know, <laughs> statements that can go, oh, okay. So, like, when I tell people, you know, that we address um, – address poverty and unemployment through job training specifically with those or not specifically but especially dealing with those who have significant barriers and those who are returning citizens people are like oh okay so you help people get jobs but people who are really living in poverty okay and they might even have a criminal mm-hmm. background all right but if it takes you 30 minutes to say that eh, not not so good <laughs> You know what, it's something you just said that um, jarred a memory. I can remember having a conversation with your boss, um, Brenda Palms, years ago. Mm -hmm. I said, NLEN is the only organization I can think of that makes working with ex-offenders sexy. You you know, we tend to, (laughs) and and I don't mean that as a put down, you you know, if if it sounds that way, um, you know, when she came to to Lawndale, you know, back in, what, 1999, it was a huge stigma to work with ex-offenders, you you know. I mean, not only did the ex-offenders have the stigma, but, you know, the organizations um, weren't so well received. And it was very, very, very difficult to raise money for for people who have somehow wronged society, you know, as if the rest of us are so perfect, right? But, you know, that was the time she started, and she was someone who took that issue head on and just worked wonders, and the message is so much more positive. And, and I think as a result of the work that she and her team, you know, folks like you, you, know, you have taken a lot of the stigma out of working with ex-offenders and making people feel much more free and feel good about about giving. And, you know, that's not an easy thing to do. 
So my hats are Thank off you. to you and, <laughs> and Ellie. <laughs> so it, like I said, it was Thank just something you, you said that that reminded me of the conversation Brenda and I had a while ago. But uh, just continue to do the great work. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know what? Actually, mm-hmm. helping returning to this is, is sexy. It actually is. It's getting back to society. So it's really about reframing mm-hmm. that narrative and not painting them mm-hmm. to be, you know, people who haven't paid their debt or people who don't want to work as they do. Right. They just need the tools and the resources. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, so we have come to the end of our show, and I'd like to thank Lauren Wesley, Director of Development for NLEN, for being our guest. So, Lauren, you get the last word. Is there anything you would care to share with us? Before you leave it, make sure you let folks know how they can get in contact with you. I did take the liberty of putting your contact information on our um, our little slideshow. But still, you know, there okay. may be people who are listening from different areas who may not have access to your com, your um, your contact information. So I'll, um, yeah. I'll let you take it from here. Okay. Well, if you want to get in contact with me, I'll start there. Um, or just with the organization in general, you can always reach out to us on Facebook. I do manage the accounts myself. So it's facebook.com backslash N-L-E-N dot org or Twitter, which is at N L E N for jobs at N L E N underscore jobs. And if you want to get in touch with me personally, um, you can just reach out to me via email. It's very simple. It's just Lauren L A U R E N at N L E N dot org. And that is actually the quickest way to get to me because my phone stays the people leave voicemail, voicemail, voicemail. So that's like the quickest way to email. I check them immediately. I would be happy to answer mm-hmm. any questions about development or fundraising. And last words, you know, have fun with it. This is our life. This is our work. When you are a leader in a nonprofit, you give up a lot, but you get a lot. Have fun with it. Develop those relationships. And don't burn bridges. Don't burn bridges. You never know when you're going to see someone around the corner. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. All righty. So I'd like to thank our listening audience for tuning in today. Um, be sure you join us next week when our guest will be Xavier Ramey. Xavier is the founder of Justice Informed, and I'm looking forward to a very, very lively discussion. So until then, take care. And Lauren, thanks again, and you have a great day. Thank you so much. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.